So, so for the next for the next few weeks, next three weeks, uh, I'm going to be preaching a series um, entitled "The King Is Coming." Okay, and this this time frame from this Sunday up until Christmas Eve. Uh, marks a, a time the ch- churches come to have kind of coined a, a phrase called Advent. Um, ad- the word Advent means arrival or coming, okay? And so that word is not in the Bible. The word Advent is not in the Bible. Uh, but again, church tradition has kind of coined that uh, word to refer to the time of celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ when he came as a baby in a manger as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes in the clouds with great power and and great glory. And so, you know, different denominations have, you know, different rituals and traditions and things associated with the celebrating of of Advent. Uh, I'm not going to go into all that. I just want to focus on the heart of it, uh, which is the glorious truth about the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Talking, that's what Advent is. It's talking about his coming. Uh, So this morning, uh, this first message in this series um, is titled, The King is Coming, uh, Prepare the Way. Okay, so if you got your Bible, uh, open it to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 is where we're going to begin. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. So by the way, this is a prophecy given hundreds of years, I think, if I remember correctly, around seven or 800 years before Jesus actually came, before he was born in that stable. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That's important. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. In other words, if something's been hidden before and now it's revealed, what you couldn't see before, now you can see. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. It's, it's pointing forward to uh, a, an event in time. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God's glory shall be revealed, for all flesh shall see it. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. We're talking about first that first coming of Jesus, the greatest event in human history, folks, is when God came to earth in the form in the form of Jesus Christ. And the second greatest event still waiting will be the moment when Jesus returns. Amen. I may be looking forward to that second advent. Amen. That second coming. So uh, the king is coming. Prepare the way. Let's pray. Father, this, this morning as we gather together here, and we've already felt your presence in the worship, uh, as we have um, invited you in to be the cornerstone of our life, Um, to surrender everything that we have, everything we are to you. And I pray that you would be magnified today. God, that this message that I feel burning in my soul this morning will not just be another sermon, but God, that it will be a message of life, that it will be a word uh, just in time for, for some folks, Lord, those who are not saved, that they, through this message today, might understand how much you love them, what links you went through to prove your love to them, uh, and that we as your people, God, might not take lightly the work that you have done for us, that it will never become old news, but that it will be fresh and new and invigorating in our heart and in our spirit every day. God, again, I pray your anointing for I'm just a man, and I recognize that today, but through the power and the anointing of your spirit, this word can come alive, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, so let's talk about this. The king is coming, number one, whether you're ready for it or not. 
right? And so the message is that we prepare the way. So let's, let's back up just a little bit. I want to talk about preparing the way for that first advent, that first coming of Jesus when he would be born as a baby in the manger. And I want to take it back even further than that to and talk a little bit about God's preparations. Okay, we're going to get to, we're going to get to the point where how we have to prepare for the coming of the Lord. But I want to talk about what God did to prepare for the coming of the Lord, okay? So how far back do you think we should go? The beginning. So the beginning of what? Okay, the beginning of this world, maybe. Let's go back to creation, and that's where God first made preparations for us. I want to propose that we go back even further, amen? And let me read for you in 1 Peter chapter 1. Good answer, by the way, Dirk, you were right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, and to be redeemed means to be purchased, to be ransomed, to be saved, ultimately. You were not saved and redeemed by God with corruptible things like silver or gold. You can't buy your salvation. Uh, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained when? Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or seen, again, to be manifest is to be revealed. If my hand, I always use the same illustration, my hand right now, you can't see it, but I have just now manifested. You have seen it. So again, we talked about the glory of God that was hidden, but now it has been revealed. Talking now about God, Jesus who before the foundation of the world was hidden, but is now in the last times manifested for you. So God began his preparation for your salvation not just for the salvation of all mankind, it included everybody, but God began preparation for your salvation before he ever even said, let there be light. Before the foundations of the world, before he ever even began creating the universe, God was making preparation for the coming of Jesus for your salvation and mine. Amen? Amen. Then a creation. We talked about this just a little bit last week. Everything God created... On, on, in that, in that seven-day creation. Everything he created was in preparation for mankind's well-being, okay? When God created light, it, was because, it wasn't necessarily because he liked light. I mean, he is light. God didn't turn the lights on. He didn't flare the sun for his benefit. He, he ignited the sun for our benefit, right? When God said, let there be light, it was because he didn't want to see us live our existence in darkness, so he created light in preparation for us. When God created the dry land, he made that dry land for us. Otherwise, you and I would be bobbing up and down our entire life. But he wanted us to have solid ground to set our feet on. So he created the land in preparation for you and for me. He created the plants in preparation for you and I. He knew that we would like salad. He knew we would need to eat and, and the plants that we would gain from that. But not only that, he knew we were going to need to breathe oxygen. And what is it? that just the, the plant life happens to put off as it grows. Oxygen. Isn't evolution just amazing? You know, evolution is just so amazing that it would grow plants to put off oxygen that we need to survive. And, by the way, that we would put out carbon dioxide, which the plants need to survive. Evolution, coincidence? I don't think so. I think it was by the design of Almighty God. What do you think? Amen? So God created plant life knowing we were going to need oxygen. The plants were in preparation for mankind. God created the animal kingdom knowing that we would need food to eat. He said, rise, kill, and eat. Everything God created was in preparation for us, for our well-being. And he did all of that knowing 
that we were going to fail him. Isn't that something? You know, it's one thing to go through a lot of effort for somebody that's going to appreciate what you're doing for them. It's something entirely different to go through all of the effort knowing that people aren't going to care, knowing that people are going to reject you, aren't going to appreciate it the way that they should. Everything God did in preparation up until the first day, second, third, fourth, fifth day, all in preparation for that sixth day when God would scoop up the earth and breathe the breath of life into the clay and man became a living soul. And God said, this is very good. Everything was ready for mankind. That's because that's how much God loves us, knowing we were going to fail him. There's an old song that says, uh, he looked beyond my faults and saw my need. Amen? He looked beyond my fault and my failures and saw my greater need, which was salvation, which God was, he was on it. He was preparing, making ready that day that Christ would come and die on the cross of Calvary for us. So you have before the foundations of the world, you have the creation, and we have Old Testament prophecy, okay? Now here's the thing. Oh, this is exciting to me, and I could go on about this forever, and I'll try not to do that. But when you look at Old Testament prophecy, hundreds of years, actually thousands of years, that God through prophets and through man would tell and talk about the first advent, the first coming, where Jesus would come. God would come to earth. God spoke through men. He revealed it to people, godly men. He would show them and they would write it. And throughout the entire Old Testament, we have these prophecies about Jesus coming to earth. And every, there's hundreds of them throughout the Old Testament. It would take me hours to go through every single Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus being born and God becoming man. It would take hours. There were hundreds of them, and every single one of those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know what the chances? In other other words, it's not like Jesus fulfilled 90% of the Old Testament prophecies. I mean, that would be impressive. We would think, oh, okay, 90%, that's close enough. Jesus didn't just, I mean, if Jesus would have only fulfilled 90% of all of the, or even 99% of all of the Old Testament prophecies and failed to fulfill one, he wouldn't have been Messiah. He fulfilled every single prophecy of the Old Testament. I'm going to name for you just a few. Because I want you to see, again, God preparing the world for, through these prophets, God's preparing the world for the first coming of Jesus. So uh, Psalm, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 16 uh, prophesied that Christ would be, resurrection, be resurrected, that he would die, but he wouldn't stay dead. He would be resurrected. That was the prophecy. Uh, it was prophesied, Zechariah prophesied that Christ would be pierced, and we know that he was on the cross. The Roman soldier pierced his side. Isaiah prophesied that Christ would be, would be born of a virgin. How many of you know that's pretty amazing? How many of you know that that's never been done before? Okay? We've all been, every man, every human being, from the very beginning, very beginning of time, other than Adam and Eve, obviously, were born the same way, with a man and a woman. But this man, this God-man, was going to be born a different way. He was not going to be born by the will of man, a woman and a man coming together. He would be born of a, woman, a virgin, a woman who had never been with a man. He would be literally God's son. And, and Zechariah prophesied that. He'll be born, or Isaiah prophesied that. He'll be born of a virgin. That's what happened. Isaiah prophesied that Christ would suffer in Isaiah 53. Uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied about a, a coming prophet. He said, There'll be, God will raise up a prophet like unto me. It was a prophecy about Jesus thousands of years before he would come. Second um, Samuel says that Christ would be a descendant of David. Zechariah prophesied again that Jesus would come, that the Christ would come riding on a donkey. What was it when Jesus came into Jerusalem? What was he riding on? A donkey. Uh, 
it was uh, prophesied by Zechariah that Christ would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. How many pieces of silver was Jesus betrayed when Judas sold him out? 30 pieces of silver. Again, this is hundreds of years before it happened. God revealed to Isaiah that my, or Zechariah, I forget which is which. He revealed that my, you're, you're going to know when my Christ comes. You're going to recognize that first advent, that first coming, when God becomes man. You're going to recognize it because all of these things are going to happen. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be sold out for, for 30 pieces of silver, so on and so forth. Uh, it, was even, it was even prophesied, Micah prophesied, that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Not in Jerusalem, not in the capital city, not in the best place, but in Bethlehem, the smallest of all nations. It was prophesied that that's where Jesus would be born. Interesting enough that Bethlehem missed it. Amen? That when Jesus was born and most of Bethlehem even missed it, but it was prophesied. So God, again, preparing man for that first coming. And then the, the last one we'll talk about, it was, it was prophesied that Christ would be preceded by a messenger, a forerunner, that there would be a, a godly man to rise up on the world scene and begin to make everybody ready that it's coming close, his, his ministry is about to begin. Jesus is about to come in great glory and his, with his ministry. And this was in Malachi chapter three, verse one. He said, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is what? He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And this person that it was prophesied about was John the Baptist. And if you read in Matthew chapter 3, we read where John the Baptist had quite the ministry. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was this prophesied messenger that began his ministry, and he began to, he began to uh, preach in those days. Let me, let me just read it. Matthew chapter 3 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So basically what God is saying back in Old Testament is that one day the Messiah will come, I will send the Christ. But I'm gonna send somebody to prepare the way, to let people know that he's about to come. And John the Baptist faithfully proclaimed that. He's telling people, he say, look, I'm out here telling you all to repent and you need to turn you know, from your ways. But he said, look, I'm not the Christ. I'm nothing, I'm just a vessel. But the one who's coming after me is greater than I am. He's mightier than I am. In fact, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his shoes. His whole entire ministry was about preparing people for the coming of the Lord. That's not any different than our calling as a church today. Amen? Not to put ourselves on the same level as John the Baptist, but I'm doing nothing, nothing less or more than that this morning is to, to stand up here and say to you, Jesus has already come the first time. He came as a baby in a manger. He died on the cross, he, he, he rose again the third day and he ascended back to heaven and by his own declaration, which we'll talk about in a minute, the king is coming again and we have to prepare for his coming, amen? So that's all God did. God did a lot to prepare for that first coming and obviously the second. Let's talk about our preparations just a little bit. Now, there's nothing, the only thing that you and I as human beings ever did to prepare for Jesus' first coming was sin, right? I mean, all of from, from from the fall of mankind in the garden. Just a refresher, if you don't know, I don't like to take for granted that everybody knows. You know, when God created man, 
Man was perfect. Man did not have sin. There was, commu- there was fellowship. There was relationship between God and man. Adam could look God in the face and talk to him because Adam was pure as God is pure. But the second that mankind rebelled against God and sinned against God and uh, ate, partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that fellowship was broken. That relationship was broken. No longer could a sinful man look upon a holy God without dying. And that separation between God and man and that's what the entire gospel is about, folks, is that when Jesus died on that cross, if you remember, God said, in the day that you eat thereof, in the day that you sin against me, you shall surely die. And it wasn't just the physical death he was talking about, but it was a spiritual death, death and hell. But Jesus, when he paid for our death, he paid for our sins, now our relationship with God was fixed. Amen? The only thing we did to prepare for Jesus' first coming in the manger was sin because that's why Jesus came. We brought curse and death upon ourselves, And we have a lot of preparation before the second coming of Jesus, and we're gonna talk about that in just a minute, but I wanna talk about another advent. I wanna talk about preparations we need to make for another coming, if you haven't already. And that's the coming of Jesus into our individual lives. Amen? And that's only done by invitation. Jesus came as a baby in a manger. Everything about the first coming was in preparation for the second coming. Amen? And we have to make preparations in between those two comings to be prepared for the second one. A coming of Jesus into our heart and into our life, and that is only done by invitation. We have to receive him. God loved the world so much that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The first thing we gotta do in preparation for the coming of Jesus into our life if he hasn't come into your life already, is to repent. Amen? To respond as the, as the Spirit of God deals with your heart and draws you and helps you to realize that you're lost. The Holy Spirit is what makes you realize that you're condemned in your sin. That makes you think about where you're going to spend eternity. That's a work of the Spirit. And when, you're, when your heart is soft and God is dealing with you, we repent, which just simply means to, to be sorry for our sins and to turn from them. That's what God is looking for from each and every one of us. Jesus, in fact, said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is non-negotiable. We don't, we don't get saved when we're still tickled to death that we are sinners, right? Godly sorrow works repentance. It's when we are sorry. God, I, we recognize I have broken my relationship with you, and God, I am sorry for that. I want that to be restored, I want the relationship between me and you to be restored. And God says, good news. I've already restored that relationship through Jesus at the cross. And now that you've repented and now that you've called out on me, I am your Lord. I am your Savior. Amen. That's why John the Baptist was preaching. He wasn't out there on the, on the banks of the Jordan preaching to people, you all need to go to church. That wasn't his message. He was out there preaching, you all need to repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's upon us. That first coming is here. God has come. All prophecies has been fulfilled, and God is here among us. Are you ready for him? How about you? God is here in this place today. Through his spirit, God's presence is here. Are you ready for him? Are you ready for him to come in and just do all kinds of good stuff in your heart and in your life? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be saved? Are you ready for his second coming? Because if you're not, he's coming one way or the other. It's better that we be prepared. See, the thing about it, I mean, I could preach in a whole message on repentance because it's throughout the entirety of Scripture. 
Repentance is, all, is, is, is what God, it's the most important. Now, let me back up. I think the most important thing God wants from us is obedience, okay? He would rather us just obey and not have to repent, <laughs> right? Now, we all have already sinned, so the, the need for repentance is already there, obviously. God would rather us obey, but he knows us. He knows how weak we are, and he knows that we're going to fail. The second most important thing God looks for from us is repentance, Amen? For us just to be sorry for our sin. And confess it. Not say, oh God, I'm better than him. I'm better than most. I'm a good person. I think that's probably one of the things that God, that sickens God's heart the most, is to hear somebody say, well, I'm a good person. You think, well, that doesn't sound that bad. I think it sickens God's heart. Because that's what we say to justify, oh, well, I'm not gonna go to hell. God's not, I'm a good person. God says, no, you're really not. Nobody is. Nobody is good. We're all, we've all sinned and therefore stand before God sinners. We don't go to heaven because we're a good person. We go to heaven because we recognize that we're not a good person and that Jesus is a good person and he, being perfect, died for me and re by repenting of our sins and inviting him in. Lord, come. You came once as a baby. I want you to come now as my savior that I'm prepared and ready when you come as my judge. Amen? Amen? Because we will all stand before God as judge. He looks for obedience, and after that, he looks for repentance. We're all gonna be disobedient at times. Try not to. I think we should strive to be obedient. Amen? But when we fall short, repentance should be on our lips. Amen? Repentance. That's, that's one way, folks, that's one way that you know you're really saved. Not, not that you don't sin, and we get discouraged sometimes. Oh, the devil comes along. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have done that. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have sinned. No, that's not the case at all. The, case, the way you know you're saved is when you sin and you feel bad for it. Amen? Amen? You feel convicted when you do something wrong and you repent. God, I'm sorry for that. Nothing greater than that. Like I said, that's what I'm looking for. Ah, yeah, I'd rather you didn't sin, but that repentance, I can work with that. I can't work with you, I can't help you if you say, well, it's not that big a deal or, oh, God understands, I'm gonna continue to live in loosey-goosey sin and, you know, blah, 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 or I'm a good person, I do this. Guys, I can't, I can't work with that. But if you just acknowledge your sin, admit it and repent, that I can work with. Hallelujah. How many of you are glad for that? Say amen. amen. So <clears throat> when, when you're preparing for somebody to come to your house, you're preparing for a visitor, what do you scramble to do? Clean your house. How many of you just keep an immaculate house all the time in case somebody drops by? Some of you might, and if you do, God bless you. I think that's awesome. But I, most of us, if you're like us, you run 4,000 miles an hour in your life, right? And things get thrown here, and things get tossed here, and, things get, and nothing's in its place, and life, you know, your house is just kind of in disorder. And so when company's coming, you hope that you've got a few days' notice, right? So that you can have time to kind of get things in order. But, uh, but a lot of times, it's at an unexpected company where you're like, what? And you're scrambling and you're, you're sweeping and you're cramming. You know, so that when they walk in, it, it gives the appearance that you're always just living in a clean house. <laughs> it's, it's in order, right? So basically what you're doing, you're, you're deceiving your guests. But bottom line is we scramble uh, to clean house when we're expecting a visitor. But let me ask you this. If you were expecting a visitor, you knew people were coming. Now, the way, to be honest, don't lie to me, the way we have a tendency to clean is take everything that is visible and make it invisible, 
right? So closets get stuffed full, bedroom doors get closed, right? Uh, the, the door to the basement gets closed, we close up, we, we just shove everything and hide everything, pile it up, shut those doors, and then make everything that the visitor sees pretty, right? So, but how would you clean if you knew that the visitor who was coming was gonna go into every room and every closet? Then how would you clean? Probably would be a little more thorough, am I right? They were gonna go in every, then you throw everything in the shed. But they're, gonna, they're even gonna go in the shed, okay? You're forced to deal with every piece of junk you got, right? You're forced to look at everything you own and decide where its place is. What you need to get rid of, what you need to keep, because you don't want that visitor seeing all your, your junk. And, and the thing about it is that's the only kind of visitor Jesus is. He refuses to stay out of our closets and our rooms. Now, he's going to look everywhere. He's looking in every room of our heart. There's, there's nothing we can hide from him. That's, that's kind of how, how we prepare for him a lot of times. That's how we want to live. It's like, I want the Lord to save me like I was talking a minute ago. I want him to save me. Lord, I'll, I'll let you into these rooms of my life. I'll let you into this part of, of my life, but now this part, I'd like for you to stay out of there. And Jesus ultimately says, nah, if I can't come into your entire house, I'm not coming at all. That's the deal, right? Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot, I'd rather you be cold, but not lukewarm. It's, it's all or nothing. That's, what, that's the deal. He said, I don't agree with that. Doesn't matter. That's God's deal. All or nothing. I won't come in. If I can't come into every room, I'm not going to come in. So knowing that, then what kind of person should I be? What kind of life should I live? What kind of preparation should I make for the coming of the Lord, knowing he's coming into every room of my heart? See, the good news is this. It's not that you have to go through your life and clean it all up before Jesus will come in. Not at all. The good news here is this. You let Jesus into your life the way it is. What if you had a visitor that was coming and they would clean everything for you, right? You invite them in, they clean your closets. They clean your bathrooms. That's not the job of the pastor, that's the job of the assistant pastor. Call him. He comes in, he cleans your bathrooms. He clean, he, I, now bless you, he would he'd probably do it. I do happen to know that he cleaned out a person's uh, septic tank one time, got down in there and cleaned out a lady in our church uh, septic tank, so he would probably do it. But that's, that's, the, that's the great thing about Jesus is we invite him into our life the way it is, cluttered with all the junk, and then we let him clean it up, amen? But here's the deal, the only way he'll do that is if he has complete and total access, amen? We have to decide. Just like I have to decide, what am I gonna keep? What, what, what? Okay, this is a good thing, but it's not in its place. It needs to be in its place. And Jesus says, look, this is, this, there's things in our life, man, you name it, hobbies, sports, raising children, our jobs, all of these things are good. They're good things, but they have to be in the right, spot, the right spot, right? The right place. We get them in the wrong place. Jesus comes in and says, okay, this is good. You need to keep this, but it really belongs over here after me. Amen. And then we have to decide, okay, you know, I really don't use this. Uh, this is just taking up space. This is junk in this. So there's so many things in our life. Uh, you know, Jesus comes along and saying, do you really need to do that? Do you really need that kind of attitude? Is that really... Is, it, is that something that could turn into a lust that might destroy me? He comes in. We have to give him complete access. Every room, every nook, every cranny. It's like uh, uh, Tim Hawkins says, what is a nook? What's a cranny? Is my nook dirtier than my cranny? I don't know. You know, but 
He comes in to, we have to give him access to every nook, every cranny, every closet, every aspect of our life, and then he can do something with us. No limitations, unlimited access in preparation for his coming into our life. So let's talk about that second advent now. I'm gonna bring this in for a landing here. <clears throat> let's talk about his second coming, because like I said a minute ago, everything about Jesus' first coming was in preparation for his second coming, amen? He had to come that first time. He had to be born as a baby to become human flesh in order to grow into a man and start a ministry and speak the words of God in order to die on the cross, in order to raise from the dead, in order to go to heaven. All of these things had to happen, but it all happened in preparation for the second advent. Amen, the second coming of Jesus. God didn't create this world just for a temporary hoo-ha. Amen, everything. We talked about the preparations that God made in order for Jesus to come, in order for us to be saved. But folks, again, all of this was, was in preparation for the second coming where we're not just with God in church. We're not just with God every once in a while when we pray or when we read the word, but it, it's all in preparation for eternity when we are with God forever, when we can see him face to face again. See, God misses that. God, he could see Adam, Adam, and, and God could talk face to face, but that was broken. God longs to have that back. And for eternity, all of us can look God in the face and we can have conversation with him in eternity. So everything was in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is just as sure as his first coming was. Nobody denies the first coming of Jesus, I might add. You can talk to an atheist. Atheists will acknowledge the birth of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. They don't believe he was God. They don't believe that you have to be saved through him but they will acknowledge he was here. There's, I mean, set the Bible aside for just a second. There's plenty of history, plenty of historical documents that declare and prove that Jesus Christ really did live 2,000 years ago. He walked this earth, he did the miracles, and he died, was crucified by the Romans, he died, and rose again. Again, they may not acknowledge that he really rose, but they'll acknowledge that happened. Something, something, went, something went hanky with his body, it's gone. However they want to believe what happened, they'll believe he was crucified, he was laid in the tomb, and his body disappeared. Hallelujah. Isn't huh. it something that God can even get atheists to preach the gospel? Nobody denies that Jesus came the first time. I'm telling you something. Even we as Christians, we know he came the first time. We don't doubt that. That's why we're here. But we live as though we don't believe he's coming back sometimes. I'm not making accusations. I'm... Point one finger at you, I got three more coming back at me, right? We just live sometimes like he's not. Just as sure as he came the first time in that manger, he is coming again in the clouds with great power and great glory. Amen? He's coming again. So the question is, are you prepared? Are you ready? Most important question anybody will ever ask you. If I asked you how your 401k was doing, not that important. If I asked you if you got enough money for retirement, not as important. The, great, the biggest question, the greatest, most important question I can ask you, are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Amen. Because he's coming. I'm gonna read this for you, man. This, this will bring a goose, goosebump or two up you, I think. It does me. And this is Jesus talking about his, his second coming. It's in Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. It says, then the sign of the Son of Man, which is him, will appear in heaven. <clears throat> and then all the tribes of the earth, that's us, 
will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Amen. What a coming. What a coming that's going to be. Jesus came the first time, and a lot of people missed it. Jesus comes the second time, ain't nobody going to miss it. Amen. Luke 17, Jesus again, and there's again, when it comes to, when it comes to the, the coming, the, 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 uh, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ, so many different scriptures, so many different parables Jesus told, and I could stand here and, and preach a whole other message on that, and, and I'm, I just want to hit, I just want to hit a couple uh, to show the impact, of the, the certainty of Jesus's return in, in Luke 17 verses 26 and 27. Jesus again gives another illustration concerning his second coming. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And we all know that uh, event that took place. Again, even scientists, will, whether they acknowledge that it was God or not, will acknowledge a world flood. Nobody denies that at one point in history, this entire globe was underwater. Jesus said, just like it happened back then, Noah, God said, I'm bringing a flood to destroy and judge the world. Noah prepared. Noah was ready for that day. But most people, everyone else, disregarded it. Everyone else thought it was crazy, the thought of rain. It had never rained before. And people just kept on eating and drinking and marrying. And what does that mean? They just live life as though they were going to be around forever. Are you living that way now? I mean, are you living your life as though you're just going to live forever? You won't. I won't. We won't. We know. Everybody knows that one day this life is going to, we're going to die and this life's going to be over and you'll stand before God. And so they just live life like they were going to live forever. And then when they least expected it, boom, the, the, the rains came and they were destroyed. And, and Jesus uses that as an illustration. You talk about the second coming of Jesus, not a popular message. Not a popular message. Number one, atheists will sneer and snicker. Unbelievers or even people who believe in God, but they don't believe he'll judge them. They don't believe in hell. I want to, God is this, you know, genie in the sky and he'll be there for me when I pray. And so we want to, no, it doesn't work that way. He's coming again. And he said, just like it was in the days of Noah, he's going to come, boom, when everybody least expects it. That's a concept throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Things like, He's going to come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's coming when nobody is prepared. So what he's going to find is a lot of people who are just living their life as though they're going to live forever, and they won't be prepared. But my prayer is that all of us will be like Noah, that we'll be prepared, we'll be ready. Noah was ready when the rain started coming because he'd been building the ark. He was prepared. He, just, he was being obedient to God. And that's what God is. We as God's people will be prepared. We have no need to fear anything. You don't have to fear the economy. You don't have to fear how bad the world is. You don't have to fear the antichrist and the tribulation and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to fear the coming of the Lord Jesus because all of this, however it all works and however it all comes down, we are in the hands of our heavenly father and nothing can pluck us out of his hands, according to scripture. <laughs> we don't have to fear Peter, I believe it was, talked about being confident before Jesus at his coming. We can live confident knowing that when he returns, not if, when he returns, I'm ready. I'm ready. I won't be caught off guard. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives, I want to talk about this, this one last parable that Jesus gives. Again, in, to prepare people for that day that will come sudden, suddenly. 
says, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read, read this as we go. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like, uh, likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took, no, took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But the bridegroom was delayed, excuse me, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is what? Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the, the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Look at this. Watch, therefore, Jesus, the, whole, Jesus, the whole point of Jesus telling the story. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Wow, what a powerful message. These 10 virgins, and there's a whole uh, teaching and some cultural background here in this, and all this is cool. I'm not going to take time to go through all that. I just, just other than to make the point Jesus was making, five of these ladies were ready. Five of them were prepared. I mean, you imagine if you were going to go out and you were going to spend the night in the woods, you wouldn't just take a flashlight. You're going to take extra batteries. You're going you're to say to yourself, I want to make sure I've got light. That's, what they, that's the way these ladies were. The bridegroom was coming. This wedding party was going to be this great wedding feast, which is like kind of what the Bible shows, uh, uh, kind of refers to as the coming of the Lord, that, that marriage supper of the Lamb. It's like that great wedding where we're all gathered together with Jesus. And these, these five that were prepared, I'm going to be ready. Whenever he comes, I want to know that I'm ready. The other five decided to, decided to gamble it. Ah, I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I go to church. I do this. I, I'm good enough. And they decided to gamble with what they had. And when the bridegroom came, they were not prepared. They missed it. They missed everything. They gambled. Man, if your soul is the most valuable thing you have, more valuable than your body. More, more, more valuable than any material possession, obviously. Any one of us here would give up our house to save our life. I mean, our house is, is important. It's valuable to us, but not more important than our life. There's not many things we would give our life for because we hold it so valuable. And yet it is only the second most valuable thing you have. The most valuable thing you have is your soul that will live forever. This body, all these bodies will die, but your soul never dies. It lives on forever, either in heaven or in hell, all based on whether or not we have made preparation for that day, whether or not we have repented of our sins and invited Christ into our life to be our Lord and to be our Savior. Everything hinges on that. Don't gamble with the most valuable thing you have. Don't assume, oh, I'm a good person, I don't, I don't, I'll start going to church. That's good, keep coming to church, that's good, that's where it starts. Understand that Jesus didn't die on the cross to get you into church. He died on the cross to get you into heaven. 
into the presence of God where you can be safe for all eternity. That's what it's all about. The king is coming. Amen? The king is coming again. Prepare your heart. Prepare the way. Ready or not. Isn't that what we say, ladies, as you make your way up here? Isn't that what we say when we're playing hide and go seek? We're all hiding and the person that's it counts. And what do they always say? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. Meaning if you're not hidden, you better get there because I ain't going to wait on you anymore. And if I come around the corner and you're just standing wide open, it's on you. Jesus is saying, ready or not, I'm coming. And if you're not prepared, that's on you. Because God did everything in his power to make preparations for your preparations. And that all begins right here this morning. All begins right here. I know a lot of you right here in this, in this place right this morning are already saved. You've already confessed your sins and repented of your sins. You've already invited Christ. You've already looked at Jesus on that cross 2,000 years ago and understood he died there for me. I'm going to heaven because he did that. Not because I'm good, but because he did that for me. But maybe some of you aren't saved. You've never, you've never repented. You've never invited Christ to come in. You've never just given your life to him and said, Lord, I give you every room. I give you full and complete unlimited access to me. Maybe you've said, okay, I'll go to church. I'll give the Lord a little bit. But you've never said unlimited access, Lord, to you. Today's the day to do that. Today's the day. He's coming. Ready or not. Would you this morning, you just, everyone, every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you this morning make the smartest decision you'll ever make? Would you this morning secure the greatest, most valuable asset you have, your soul? Why would you put the Lord off? Why would you, why would you reject such a great gift, such a great offer? Today, will you invite him in? Today, will you repent? Don't put it off. Oh, I'll, maybe, maybe next Sunday. You may not be alive next Sunday. Jesus may have come by next Sunday. I don't know when he's coming. There's no promise of tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. My purpose this morning here, up, up here, is not to, to beg and to plead as much as it is just to make the offer, to relay to you this morning how much God loves you, that he wants to save you if you'll call out to him. So as they sing this morning, I want you to begin that conversation right there where you sit. I want you to begin to pray right now with a willing and a humble and a sincere heart. Give God that full access. If God moves upon your heart and you'd like to come up here this morning and have us pray with you, we invite you to do that as they sing the song of invitation today. He's come.